Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In this episode, we welcome inventory buyer and manager, Ryan Dudak. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. This is the co-host, the voice, Mr. Nick Kleitch. And with me, as always, are my good buds, my amigos, Jeremy Machino and Cole Szynski. Gentlemen, how are we? Nick, we're doing great. We just had a, a very smart, analytically driven young man on our podcast. And it's just so awesome to hear another analytically driven mind. And it was great to be able to bring him on. I was going to say, can you hear how excited he was to have another analytical brain on this podcast? He's been waiting so long. Jeremy has been waiting so long to have someone that thinks like him, have, have someone like him on this podcast. And to be honest, I had no idea Nick could ever bring that to the table for me. So that was a, that was a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> I have this unique ability to undersell, but hopefully over deliver when it comes to uh, things in my life. But I don't want to put my word out there because I'm going to say that and then all of a sudden I'm going to disappoint you guys and the listeners here, you know, if I overpromise. That's a great sales tactic, though. Underpromise, overdeliver, man. That's right. Absolutely. Well, no, it was good. It was good for you guys to get to know uh, my friend, um, Mr. Ryan Dudak, who is a high school buddy of mine. Um, before we, I fully describe him, though, what were some of the, the fun things that, that you guys liked about him in terms of uniqueness? The dude like knows his stuff. He he, you'll you'll actually hear about it, um, gold and silver, and then starting his own company. I mean, those are two things he is extremely well versed in and understands better than probably anyone else we've had on the podcast. And he he goes into great lengths describing why he's so interested in them in them and what makes him so good at it. Well, I was gonna say I I totally agree with that, Jeremy. I really appreciate when someone knows a. Or, has a lot of information stored up and they're very well versed, just like you said, on certain topics and they can talk on them from viewpoint A and viewpoint B and see the contradictions, but also see how they are so similar and, and come to come to agreements even, you know, um, in times that that you have the most argumentative of conversations or conflicts or whatever you want to call them. I also love the fact that he lives in Arizona, and I know Nick probably you'll you'll part, make that part of your intro. But I mean, he lives literally where I want to to live for the rest of my life. So that was pretty cool to get to hear about a little bit. Too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, my whole thing with bringing Ryan on, and and some of the beauty of it to what you guys will hear is there's a lot of actual more connection there between Ryan and and Cole and Ryan and Jeremy and and Ryan to myself that I think has been unique compared to some other guests that we have brought on and maybe for different reasons too. I think he was a diamond in the rough a little bit in terms of our podcast, but uh, Ryan is a, a good friend of mine. He's an individual that's very passionate both in how to live successfully and just business in general. And I think we go there. Uh, we also touch on a little bit of exercise and, and what he's doing down in Arizona and why he moved there. Uh, and lastly, just some inspiration of how to start a business and, and what are some of the factors that go into that. So before we kick off, I want all those individuals in Arizona to be ready and turn us up because you guys in about 30 to 45 minutes are going to have that haboob. Did I say that right? <laughs> the haboob. The haboob is coming so. for you. And so you guys better buckle up because here we go. Mr. Dudak, what's going on, dude? Not a whole lot. How are you guys doing? Doing freaking great. How about you two? It's uh, it's it's really hot. Not gonna lie, we uh, our our guest is from Arizona, but um, I'd rival that it, it felt a little warmer today just because of how humid it was. It's a uh, it's a uh, not fun. Well, yeah, I mean, we uh, we were just talking about how it was a hundred degrees there, but it was probably not as you know like warm feeling, I guess, um, because we have all that bullshit humidity here in the Midwest. But yeah, man. Out of our high school group, we had a couple of guys that were like, you know what, this is what we're going to do out of high school. And then you just randomly come in with, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge and moving to Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's quite so random, but 
You know, I, I don't remember if I ever had that conversation with you, Nick, or not, but uh, I know a couple of buddies from back home. I had always talked about getting out of the cold, the nasty winters, moving to somewhere warm. And then it just, you know, when it happened, I don't think it came as much of a surprise, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's right. You, uh, you hated the cold. Like we, <laughs> <laughs> we suffered through the cold, but I just remember there was a couple of times where you, the look on your face, you're just like, no, like I fucking hate the cold. Like I will not be remaining in the cold. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Ryan, was this, this choice to move out to Arizona, was it like a, like an opportunity given to you or did you actively look for like opportunities in Arizona? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I had wanted to move out of Iowa to somewhere warm. I didn't really have Arizona in mind specifically. Um, but it, there was a point, you know, in time where I was at my previous job and I was able to up and transfer, um, and Arizona was just a good spot to go. And I did have uh, a girlfriend at the time and, and she has some ties down here. So it just kind of all worked out. It was perfect. So from what I understand, Ryan, uh, not to get away from the, the Arizona thing. I'm going to come back to that because I, I do want to talk about that. I'm very jealous of that, but I understand you just had a birthday. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. This this last weekend, uh, on Saturday was my birthday, the big 25. Hey, well, happy birthday. You're halfway to 30, which means you're halfway to getting really old. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I was saying the same thing. I was like, I'm halfway to 50. So halfway to old. So either right. way. <laughs> right. Um, dude. So as far as Arizona, to be completely honest, I don't, I don't know if Nick's filled you in. Um, I recently moved out West to Sacramento because of coronavirus had to come back to Iowa just for a short period of time. But my ultimate goal is to end up in Arizona, like the Phoenix, um, maybe even the Tucson area. Talk a little bit about lifestyle being from the Midwest. And now you, I don't think you said on how long you've been down in Arizona, but maybe a little bit of the adjustment period and, and getting to you getting used to life down there. Yeah. So, um, as far as adjusting goes, there's always a big adjustment when you move somewhere 1500 miles away from home. Uh, the lifestyle down here is awesome. That's why I like it so much. Um, the, the outdoor scene, if you're, you know, outdoors guy is huge here. Um, I've recently gotten into hiking quite a bit, um, you know, cause basically just a different scenery. Uh, there is actually, believe it or not, some downhill skiing that can be had in Arizona uh, <laughs> during different parts of the, the year, uh, usually, you know, November to May-ish. Um, and yeah, man, it's just, there. it's a big change from the Midwest as far as the outdoor scene goes. And, and that's what I appreciate most about it. So funny enough, our last guest, who was a buddy of all three of Nick, Jeremy and I's, uh, he's a huge outdoors guy just in terms of hiking and fishing in, you know, obviously what he calls the Driftless, the Driftless being their business in um, this this region of like the northern United States that I'm not sure what the scientific meaning or the, the technical meaning of it is. But so talk a little bit about like what that looks like as far as being quote unquote outdoors down south in the desert yeah so um as far as fishing goes there is actually there's a few lakes down here that are super popular uh big for fishing and and water sports as well uh hunting i haven't gotten into the fishing or hunting thing yet i haven't been here long enough but um up north there it's it's more mountainous you know up in sedona flagstaff area there's actually a really big elk elk hunting scene down here believe it or not uh, which I'd like to get into a little bit eventually. Um, so there's definitely options, you know, and if you go down south, you can hunt uh, different different types of, of deer in the desert, which is pretty sweet. Well, we, we thought it was cool to get you on here because I, I guess I didn't put two and two together, but I had always known individually you had wanted to go there and Cole had wanted to go there. So it was kind of cool to have you come on and you two get to, to shoot the shit a little bit. Um, but Cole... When you were you planning on getting there as like a retirement age or like when when do you want to get there? Because like I know Ryan's there now and he's probably never going to move away. I mean, unless something really drastic happens. No, my goal is to get there as soon as possible and never move away. Exactly like that. <laughs> I never yeah. want to see snow ever again, unless like Ryan said, as before we got on this call, unless you have to like you can choose to go see snow just like he said but i hope i never have to like be forced to see snow ever again i never want to shovel a driveway ever again man you and i are so on the same page right there <laughs> just, just as a, a fun story last winter um i bought myself a pair of brand new skis boots and, and poles 
kind of towards the end of the ski season. And I went up uh, skiing. It, I think it was in, in March or, or April. Um, and I drove two hours north of Flagstaff and it was probably, you know, 30 degrees, maybe a little bit less. It was a beautiful day on the, on the mountain. Um, it did a whole day of skiing and then drove back and it was 65, 70 degrees when I got oh. back home. That right there is Ryan's fucking perfect day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey man, uh, before we dip our feet into skiing, because I think you got a really cool story there. Um, I know me and you were, were big workout guys in, in high school. Obviously, that was sports-related, and we just had a really good, tight grit, uh, tight uh, group of folks that we hit working out pretty hard with. But how's hiking, man? Like, compared to some other—we did more strength training, but how's hiking? Uh, I really like it. It's It kind of—it it reminds me more of my, my track days back in the day, you know, working on the cardio a little bit. Um, I just like it because it's a different scenery from what I'm used to. Uh, I still do, you know, a little bit of weight training and stuff, obviously with COVID it's more in home with resistance bands and body weight stuff. But, um, you know, the hiking is, is kind of what I do when I want to get a cardio day in. Um, and there are, there's a lot of really challenging hikes around the, the Phoenix area too. So you can get a decent workout in for sure. So Ryan, you mentioned, uh, you ran track and obviously you've known Nick for a little while. Give, just give the listeners like a little background on, um, uh, like when, I mean, have, have you always been an outdoorsy guy? Obviously being from Manchester, Iowa, that's up in, you know, we like to give Nick a lot of crap on here about that's up in the middle of nowhere. And he's our small town, our resident small town guy. Uh, but just give a, give a little bit of a background before we do get on to just a few of the, these other topics. Yeah. So as far as the outdoors go, I would say growing up, I was in it, but not all the way in it. You know what I mean? Uh, I was, I've always kind of had an interest in the outdoors, fishing, hunting and stuff, but other things kind of took the front stage. Uh, those things would be working out sports, uh, you know, different hobbies in high school. But as I got older, you know, through college and those things kind of started to disappear, you know, being old is fun. Uh, you got to find other things to do. So um, those things are, are kind of starting to creep back, I would say, into uh, what I enjoy doing, spending time doing. Anyway, I want to get to skiing specifically because I think the journey for you as a, a skiman, if that's the correct term, is freaking <laughs> awesome. Jesus. So basically, we had a gang of guys, and Ryan was was outside of this gang in high school, and we skied quite a bit. I had another really good buddy that was a snowboarder. And so we went to Sundown Mountain in Dubuque uh, for our listeners if they know where that is. But we got after it. We loved it. And then in college, Ryan was like, hey, I want to try this thing out. And we're like, dude, we can fucking teach you in a day. And so just share that story of like the first time going out. I have a follow-up story that I think will be great, but I want you to tell that one first. Yeah. So <laughs> it was you and you and Tyler Sherbring. I, I hope he listens to this because he would love the shout out. Um, but yeah, you guys were like, Hey man, just come along. It's going to be a good time. And I was like, no, dude, I'm, I'm going to snap my neck. You know, I'm gonna, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> and, uh, you guys talked me into it. I didn't even know where to go. You know, when we got to the resort, like I had to get rentals and all that stuff. And you guys had to show me where to go and, and how to get fitted for rentals and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was basically you, Nick and, and Tyler, who's a snowboarder, funny enough, that taught me how to ski, no lessons. Um, you know, by the end of the night, I was going down the, the Black Diamond Hills at sundown, and uh, it was fairly successful, except for a, one fall I had probably three quarters of the way through the night. Um, my ski had popped off my foot, and it had landed in the snow, uh, kind of up, it wasn't upright, but it was on its side. And I ended up falling over onto that, that the ski that was on its side, and right across my hip. I got a really nasty bruise and I still actually have a mark there today. I'm not sure if it was like a bone <laughs> bruise or what, but it, I mean, it, there's still a little bump there and it was <laughs> Nick and Nick and attest to this. It was gross looking, man. <laughs> so that was the, the second story I was going to tell and I'm glad you went right into it. So like Ryan was kicking ass for his first time out there. Like he was doing well, you know, to honestly, to, to shoot straight when you go skiing for the first time and you can just make it down the hill, like that's a pretty damn good day. Like that's a good level to be at. And so he had that fall and then a couple other falls, I think. However, he kind of brushed it off to us and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I just got a little bruising. Like it's not a big deal. And you know, we were drinking a little bit. So he kind of had a numbness there. And so we, <laughs> I, I can't remember if we, you showed us in the parking lot or not, or when we got back, 
you pulled his pants down and I swear to God from his ass to like halfway on his hip was like, as if he'd been shot with an actual like gun, like it was a fucking <laughs> long bruise. And we're like, dude, like, oh why my. didn't you tell us about that? And he's like, Oh, no worry about it. We're like, Holy shit, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. This thing was gnarly. I should have taken a picture of it. It was, it was the biggest bruise I've probably ever seen in my life. And it hurt like a son of a gun, but for some reason it must've been adrenaline. I'm not really sure what, but uh, yeah, I was able to kind of power through it, but we actually end up leaving early. I don't know if you remember, we left a little bit early cause I, I had finally given up. I'm like, dude, I can't go anymore. My leg is killing me. And well, that's I when I showed just, you guys. I was going to ask, like, were you able to walk? I mean, with a bruise like that and, and maybe Nick's exaggerating a little bit, maybe not like you were able to walk and everything perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to walk. It was a little awkward, but yeah, sure. I mean, it was still, still able to walk because it was on my hip. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't on the muscle or anything like that. I think it was more of a bone bruise to be honest with you. Uh, I wanted to flip over here. Um, so the folks on the podcast know that I'm an avid reader. They know Cole's picking it up, Jeremy as well too, but you beat me to the punch, Ryan, on reading. This was something that you had picked up probably what, maybe sophomore year of high school or when did you start getting into reading? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really remember when exactly it happened. Probably sophomore, junior year, I think is when it started because prior to that, I was definitely in the camp of reading is I'm, I don't have time for that. Right. It's for <laughs> nerds. You know, I was definitely in that camp. I think it was around the time when I got gifted a couple of economics and investing type books, um, that I, I started reading on my own, on my own volition on, you know, stuff like that. So Probably sophomore, junior high school. Yeah, that's when it started. Okay, yeah, because I remember obviously me going through college, and I'm more so thinking out loud here, me going through college, I didn't really do anything. And then at the DUI point is when I started picking it up. But I remember reaching out to you, and you had like, because I, I liked the book I read. It was Failing Forward by John Maxwell. It was very timely. Um, you know, after a DUI, we need to <laughs> fail forward <laughs> off of that and not go get another one. But um, so, it intrigued me because I always felt like you were a couple books ahead in areas that I wanted to go with. But were there any early in your reading career that you felt were either A, impactful or B, just really good reads? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, my first internship in college was at Northwestern Mutual in Manchester um, with the couple of guys that I worked with there, my mentors. Uh, Clyde, you're very familiar with with Matt Schulte and Mitch Payton. Um, they had recommended, uh, it would be energy bus was probably the first book that I read that was kind of in the self-help, uh, side of things. I really liked that book. Uh, seven habits of highly effective people, I think has been pretty, pretty, uh, impactful for me. And then also how to win friends and influence people. Those three books are probably the, the first three that really engaged me and got my interest in self-help. You know, it got me on the right path, I guess. Yeah, dude, those books are, are absolute game changers. And uh, just for the short term here, I know Cole is a big John Gordon fan. And so we're actually eventually Huge. going to read that book here in the coming weeks and do a, an episode on it, actually. Nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's a kick-ass guy. Um, and then Cole has actually read How to Win Friends as well. Um, and so like, yeah, when I first read that book and like just saw the strategy involved with it, I was like, I have to read more of this stuff because it's like, if you're going to do anything successful in the, in, in the world, like you have to be able to manage and help like people basically. Right. Right. Yeah. You, you're not going to really get far in life, uh, without having other people come along the ride with you. You know, you, you can do it on your own only so far. So Ryan, I specifically remember when I was reading how to win friends and influence people by Dale, Gar Dale Carnegie, there were certain things in that book that I was able to apply to my daily routine almost instantly. Like I would read them and implement them the day of, let's say I read, read in the morning, I would implement it that day. And there were some other things that I've had to slowly kind of integrate into my routine, you know, my daily life. Were there anything like that for you that you picked up on that maybe you could apply right away or that you've had to work and sort of implement maybe a little bit slower? Yeah, so that's a good question, actually. It's been, it's been a while since I read the book, but I do remember one thing, and I don't know why this stuck with me so much, but it was the line in that book that says, uh, a drop of honey will catch more flies than a gallon of gall. Um, and and that, I don't know why that stuck with me so much, but it, it's basically just saying being genuine and nice to people is going to attract more people into your life that are willing to help you and going to help you move to the next level. 
And uh, yeah, I, I try to to live by that as far as my personal life and my business life goes and professional life. And I think it, it has paid off, you know. For sure, for sure. I think for me, one of those things was, I, I vividly remember this and I don't think I'll ever forget it, was I read um, the section on smiling. It's, it's yes. I, th- I think it's titled maybe just like smile more or, or something along those lines. And it was like, I'm going to implement, I read, I think I read, I, I woke up at like six in the morning and I read it and I was like, I'm going to implement this today. And it was literally like one of the best days I could have had. It was, it was an instant like game changer. Yeah. It's crazy when, uh, when you go out in public and you just smile at a passerby and they look at you <laughs> kind of funny at first and then they smile back. It's, it's crazy. Right. right. <laughs> but it, it is it does work though. I mean, it's kind of wild. Like people are like, it's almost like giving them permission to like, Hey, yeah, you can have a good day. Like you don't have to hate your life. Like you can have a good day. Right. Right. There's a lot of things to get you down on, you know, everyday life. But when somebody walks by with just a huge grin on their face, you can't not smile back. That's right. Well, and, uh, and I actually, I don't know if you use Well, you, you used to be in sales and have sales experience, Ryan. Um, but Cole too, I just want to throw this out there. Wes always talks about like interjecting laughter, very early on in a call, whether cold or warm to like lighten up the mood. And like, people are way more receptive when you like, you make a comment and then you just kind of like, <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, it's wild how, how much they open up just from a little laughter. Yeah. Yeah. It really smooths the, the awkwardness. And when, you know, there's nothing to say, the laughter really, it helps transition the conversation and yeah, for sure. So another thing I want to talk about with reading. So I, I'm probably way over on the left side here, uh, not referring to politics for all those trying to pick me apart, but more <laughs> so business, personal development, things of that nature. So again, seven habits and some other stuff, John Gordon, et cetera. However, there was a book you read, Ryan, and just touch on this briefly about, uh, what the hell is it called about the ancient Egyptian or ancient, uh, the lost civilization, I think it was called. With Graham Hedgecock. So you started reading books that were way out of left field or right field. And so like, just talk on that a little bit. Cause I remember we had conversations and you're like, dude, you're going to think I'm fucking crazy, but you got to hear this out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually ran into, uh, or got my interest peaked into that by listening to the Joe Rogan experience. Um, and when, when Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson came onto his podcast and I, I listened to that guy and I'm like, dude, I got to read that dude's book. That seems super interesting. So I dove into that book. It's it's a massive book. I think it's like 600 pages, and it's not a it's not a quick read by any means. It's very in depth. Um, but there, he I mean, it's kind of controversial, right? It gets some people's blood boiling a little bit. But that's that might be why I like it. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of goes into maybe there was at some point in history uh, a civilization that that had been lost due to a cataclysmic event. Um, you know, and it, maybe that would explain some of the holes that we have in, in our current picture of, of human history. So it, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Cause that is when we started talking about that and then you opened my eyes to it, I, I'm probably a little bit more, uh, of a, I don't know if global is the right word, but you, you actually look for fact. I think this is where you and Jeremy can kind of hit it off. Like you, you're a very fact oriented person. So like when he was writing his book and, and saw some of these facts in it and, the only reason why I bring this up, honestly, is because you just have a flavor for like making shit dicey. Like you love looking at both sides of the picture, you know? So that was one. And then uh, obviously we'll touch on on Dalio's book here um, in just a little bit. But yeah, so like what intrigues you about the actual like controversial, like blood boiling type of topics? Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just the my personality. I, I, I really that's a tough question to, to answer. Um, I would think it's just because I, I'm, I'm one of the types of people that want to search for the truth. Um, and you know, in order, and I believe in order to find the truth, you have to look at multiple sides of, of the coin. Right. So, um, just digging into those, I've found that there's always way more nuance in any of those topics than you can ever find at the 20,000 foot level. Um, so I just find that super interesting. I'm not really sure what allures me to it so much. So Ryan, I'm curious with you, with, with you being factual and, and you kind of like the, the blood boiling topics, are you the type of person that, and I'm not going to ask for, for your views or anything on any certain topic, but are, are you the type of person that when you hear someone's opinion, you like to play devil's advocate to get blood boiling or are you 
set and in are you pretty convicted on on your views and your stances and you're going to stick with that and is that what gets the blood boiling uh that's a good question i think it kind of depends on the topic um but i think there's a little bit of both uh if it's something that i i feel like i'm versed in i will play i will try to play devil's advocate just to ask questions and, and kind of figure out why that person came to the conclusion that they did um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes when you dig like that, it, it, it gets kind of a negative response. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that's where in some topics that we'll, we'll get to later here, like you're very, when you're very well versed, you're someone I know that will hold the position, but you do so because of fact, like, it's not like you were told this by some random person and like, that's the stance you hold. Like you understand for yourself. And then at that point you're like, okay, I'm going to politely just disagree with you because I, I know because I read someone that is very well versed on the topic and this is what they're saying. Right, right. And, you know, sometimes it, it just comes down to the fact that this per, that the other person's presenting their, their set of facts, right, that they've read and they understand and I'm presenting mine and there's just never going to be an agreement. That's just how it is sometimes. Um, but I, my ultimate goal is to share uh, ideas and things that I've come across with other people and, and maybe that would, uh, present them with something new, something that they can then dig into and, and take, you know, just run with. Well, that's something too, that Dale Carnegie talks about in how to win friends and influence people. He talks about nobody wins an argument, right? You know, it's when, when you can, when you can sh bring new ideas to the table and you can bring a different viewpoint or, or bring ex personal experience to maybe a conflictive conversation, that's when people are really willing to bring down their board, bring down the borders, break down that wall and have an, an open and honest and, and frankly productive conversation. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely never, you're never going to convince somebody, um, by throwing facts and reason at them. Uh, there's cause people's, uh, convictions are, are a lot emotional. There's a, there's a big emotional tie, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, um, when you get into like a, you know, a more heated type of exchange, you have to, you have to kind of back off uh, at some point because like you just said in, in, in Dale's book, you're never going to convince somebody or change their mind with, with facts and reason. You're just going to, uh, you know, beat a dead horse, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I mean, this, this is definitely true. I mean, you see this throughout the world where people choose based on emotion over fact, just because it makes them feel better. And like, we can't, you can't go ahead and you can't change some, how someone feel, uh, like strongly feels about something just by saying, yeah, so-and-so this is, this is better because, you know, Here's the facts. You have to watch them transform. You have to help them transform or give them the resources to transform and, and see a different light. Right, exactly. And um, I don't know if we were going to get into this at all, but how I kind of got in, interested in, you know, that finance economics type of, of reading that I do now is I was presented with an opposing opinion in college by a classmate that if he listens to this, he'll know exactly who he is. But he had mentioned something, you know, that I didn't necessarily agree with, but I started to dig into that topic a little bit more. And little does he know, he actually uh, changed my mind on on that controversial, quote unquote, controversial topic, uh, because he wasn't trying to convince me um, of his argument at the time. He was just presenting his set of ideas. And then when I was in a, a less emotional state, I went ahead and dug into it and I figured out that, you know, maybe there is something to it. So yeah, it's interesting how that all works. And I want to run with that just as a little nugget. So we, we, I can't remember what podcast it was, but we talked about like when you're in privacy, that's when you need to actually formulate your own opinion, like take some actual time to like go and figure it out. Like if you feel like you were in an argument or a debate or something where you didn't quite get your way or you're uninformed, like I would highly advise you to go find a book or an author or something to read on it and then form your own opinion because then it only allows you to improve because Ryan, you changed your opinion and what we're going to do is we're going to dive right into Ray's book and then we'll go ahead and hit some of the other stuff later in because I want you to talk about your business. But um, you change your opinion on that. But in doing so, you kind of had a little bit of humility maybe. But now it's like that projected you so much further towards advancement. So like accepting that and then in privacy figuring that out, that's what's so huge. 
Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I, I think, like I said before, it just all comes down to th- putting something in front of somebody uh, as an open-ended type of um, introduction and then letting them, if they so choose in their own time, pursuing it because that's the only way anyone's anyone's opinion will ever change, I think. Well, well I think you- it goes back, yeah, really quick. I think it goes back, Nick, you know, to, to tie it to maybe, you know, the sales industry. And it sounds like Ryan has a, has a little bit of a sales background. You know, it, it goes back to the old adage of you want to be relational, not transactional, right? You know, kind of like Ryan said, you don't want to just throw facts and, and try to throw common sense at that, peop- at, at that person you're talking to or whatever. Like, you know, like I just said, you want to break down walls and you want to show that you actually care about having this productive conversation and you you care about their ideas and you're willing to listen. And and when you do that, you know, that is it's building a relationship, even if it is in a an argumentative type of state or a very emotional, emotional state, you're you're going to walk away from that conversation uh, thinking a lot more about their ideas and what they brought to the table and, and how. Um, you can find common ground with, with what they said in comparison to, to what you brought. Yes, yes, exactly. When when you're trying to, in the sales environment, when you're trying to go in and you're trying to close that person on the first interaction, it it definitely, I've found, or you know, when I was in the, the sales industry, I found that it left um, people, a, a very bad taste in people's mouths. And I never, I don't think once I got a call back from, from somebody that I tried to close on the first interaction. <laughs> Yeah. People don't just, it's just so rare for an open cold call for people to be like, you know what? Thank God you called today because I was looking to buy some insurance. Right. (laughs) Yes. There are diamonds in the rough like that, but I never came across one. I know. Yeah. They're out there somewhere, but okay. (laughs) So we got a a couple of really good things to talk about here coming up, but I want to go into Ray's book for about five to seven minutes. Okay. So for you guys listening, Jer and also Cole, I want Ryan to give a flat line of like where he views the economy and some of the the other things that have hedged or the economy or just kind of explain like you have to me, Ryan, just some of those basic gold and silver factors, because I want this to to help bring questions out for Jer and Cole, but then also just to provide a good platform for all those people listening because it is productive. Yeah, so uh, you and I had talked about this a, a while back, just pr- in private, uh, and we were talking about how how is it that gold and silver are hedges uh, as far as an investment goes, and the reason for that, uh, it's kind of a it's a deep topic, so I don't know how how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, um, but I I think it definitely all starts with the difference, knowing the difference between currency and money. Uh, because there is actually a difference there. And, and I know a lot of people use those terms interchangeably, but in the world of finance and economics, there's a difference. And the difference is um, there are there are characteristics of money. Um, and in order for something to qualify as money, it has to be durable, has to be divisible, it has to be portable, fungible, meaning one unit is the same as another. And you know it has to be a store of value. So that that's the key right there. Um, currency, which is the U.S. dollar, the the green piece of paper that you have in your wallet, it is all of those things except for a store of value. Um, and gold and silver are all of those things, including a store of value. So once you have established that fact, then you have to kind of walk yourself back through monetary history, and you have to you have to understand that. For about 5,000 years now, um, people have been using gold and silver as money, as a unit of account, as a store of value, um, because it, it meets all of those definitions of money. Um, and when you start adding on currency on top of money, uh, then that's when you get problems with with the things that Ray Dalio was talking about in his book, um, which which makes people want to use gold and silver as their hedge. So instead of using a currency uh, to store their, the value that they put into the marketplace, their economic value, they use gold and silver to, to save, I guess. Yeah, because your, your opinion on it, I would say, is unique because of that understanding of the book. But you you're actually purchased gold and silver. Like you actually have purchased it, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a huge position or a huge holding. <laughs> Just because I, you know, I'm I'm not in a position in my life to to go as far as I would want to go with it right now. But uh, yes, I I do own gold and silver uh, for for the reasons that uh, that book kind of describes. 
Yeah. And I just, I, I think it's fun for you to, to talk about the topic um, just because I think there's a lot of fluff. And I think going through some of the historical pieces of, of why someone should look into it or, or even read Ray Dalio's book uh, would only bring you to the surface. So like I had a huge change of heart. I didn't know jack shit about any of that stuff. And I always come to Ryan as a mentor for those things. And he had described how gold and silver actually do hedge against the US dollar. And I'm thinking, this guy's kind of crazy. But then as you describe the logic and the reading, and I'm, I'm reading that book currently, it just helped me understand like, like why you were doing it and why it's important to the US economy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there, like I said, it's, it's a rabbit hole. So you, you kind of have to dig into it if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, but that's kind of the 10,000 foot level, if you will, uh, just understanding the difference between money and uh, currency and, and taking it from there. So Ryan, my question following this may, may seem idiotic or this may have nothing to do. I'm not completely sure. But so with, with all that knowledge on like gold and, and silver, um, uh, are you, are, does that make you a fan of like a barter system by chance? Uh, no. So uh, basically barter was the type of economy that we had uh, before money and, and currency became a thing. Uh, and the reason why money and currency are a thing is because we wanted to get away from a barter system because it's inefficient, right? When you're trying to, uh, you know, I have cows and you have chickens and we want to, you want my cows and I want your chickens. Trading those two things, you know, it works out if if there is that relationship where we both want what each other has. But what if you don't want cows and what if I want your chickens? Then then there's a problem, you know. So that's where the money comes into play. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to think back like that because as a society, we think we're very advanced. But realistically, like we're not that far away from that time period when that, those things were occurring, you know. No, we're really not. I mean, it depends on, on how far back you go into human history. But, you know, I would say th 5000 years, you know, and, and that's really not that long when you consider how long humans have been around. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like we said, not, not going to go crazy in depth there, but it's just a fun topic. And if there are any listeners that have a, a desire or an open mindedness, um, you could shoot us at the State Street Pod uh, online to see if we can get you some resources. But Principles by Ray Dalio is a, a book that we would recommend. Now, moving forward. So in current date, you are talk a little bit about what you do in your job, but then we'll also spin off to like business wise what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So uh, right now I'm working at a foam uh, packaging company here in uh, Tempe. It's a suburb of Phoenix for anybody that's not familiar with uh, Phoenix Metro. Um, but yeah, it's basically I'm my official title is an inventory manager and, and buyer. Um, but one reason why I wanted to move into the current job that I have is because at small companies, which is what, where I'm at right now, you get to kind of wear a bunch of hats. Uh, you get to do a lot of different things and you're not stuck in the mold of going to work, you know, doing kind of a cookie cutter job and then going home where then those are the types of jobs I feel like you would find at a large corporation, which I, I was working at just prior to the job I have now. So. Gotcha. Well, I know Jeremy had talked before you came on. He was just curious on like what you do. Is that right, Jeremy? Or like Yeah, what? yeah. Yeah, because I, I looked at the uh, inventory manager buyer. I was like, I've never heard of this before. I, I, I kind of want to hear more about it. And, you know, and then, yeah, I, I also thought, so your name is Ryan Dudak and it's uh, R-Y-D-K Riddick. I was like, R-Y-A-N-D-U-B-A-C-K or D-U-A-K-C. I thought there was some relationship there, too. It's, it's <laughs> just a little funny coincidence. Dude, you nailed it. That's the, that's where the name came from. My the first two initials or first two letters of my first name and then DK uh, for my last name. So yeah, that's exactly where it came from. Uh, nobody's ever put that together before. So nice work. yeah. Uh, but as far as as far as my current job, what I do as a you know inventory manager, um, production manager, all those different things. Um, basically, I order in the material uh, that is required to fabricate uh, foam that we put in boxes and, and send to customers. So when we get an order in from a customer uh, that requires raw materials, right? And, and my job, uh, my main job is to make sure that we have that material on hand in order to fulfill that, that request or that order from the customer. Awesome, awesome. So Ryan, I'm really curious. Um, I, I wanna jump back to, to talking about wearing a, like a bunch of hats and, and working at a smaller company because frankly, my dad grew up 
uh, or my when I was growing up, my dad worked at a company that was a little bit smaller in ceiling tile distribution, and so he wore a ton of different hats as far as you know to to your point and and working in minor league baseball, working for for a minor league club, that was something that was super attractive to me as well. At getting into that is I would get to. You know, I would get to do a lot of game day operation stuff, and I would also get to be on the sales side. I would get to do a little bit of marketing, a little bit of event planning, a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about you being a finance guy, much like myself. I have a financial management degree. And using those strengths, but also being at that smaller company, wearing all those different hats, how that has enhanced your finance background, but it's also enhanced maybe the creative part of your brain, different ways of thinking, and, and enhanced all, all other areas of being a professional? Yeah. So, um, as far as wearing all those different hats, I think that just fits my personality. It's something that I I definitely enjoy. And I do think that, you know, it's, it's going to help me long-term for sure. in my career prospects, um, just because, you know, when you kind of get exposure to a bunch of different areas, you know, within accounting, get exposure within production, within inventory management, within, uh, you know, design and engineering, stuff like that. It, it definitely, I mean, that stuff sticks out, right? Because when, when somebody looks at a resume or work history, uh, they don't just see, hey, this person did this specific cookie cutter, like I said before, type job for X amount of years. You know, they, they've actually got exposure to other things. Um, and it's, it's I, I firmly believe it's going to help me in, in the future uh, moving forward. So. So really quick, when you talk about a smaller, working for a smaller corporation, or it's an LLC, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So working for a smaller LLC, just exactly how small is that compared to to a larger company? Uh, so I think there's, it's less than 50 employees for oh, sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, much less. So I, I worked at, a, at an insurance company. Uh, uh, it was a progressive an auto insurance company, very large company. A uh, big difference. Um, very structured, very rigid, and how the day-to-day operations runs. This place, uh, not the same. And at first, it was, a, it was there was a rub there, right? I was used to the structure and the rigidity and and kind of knowing exactly what to expect day in and day out. And um, I've I've kind of learned to appreciate the the variety a little bit. So that was going to be my next question, really quick before I kick it back to Nick, because I know I keep cutting him off. So working at a smaller company like that and, and wearing all those different hats, has it allowed flexibility for you? Are you able to grow and learn on your own terms? You know, you, you talked about how working at Progressive, it was very rigid. It was very cookie cutter. They had a certain way they wanted you to do things. Do you find that working at a smaller company, it's a lot more flexible? You're, you're able to, to do a lot more on your own or do you still have that structured format? Yeah, definitely, definitely uh, able to. There's there's more room to wiggle. There's more freedom there. Um, I I work directly with uh, you know the owner of the company day day in and day out. I help him with uh, various tasks uh, when it comes to inventory and uh, you know costing different jobs and things like that. So um, there being I think that comes with the territory of being a quote unquote manager too, uh, where there's definitely just more flexibility in general. Uh, you you don't have to, you know, if, if one day, you know, your, your lunch is, is 40 minutes instead of 30 minutes, not a big deal. Whereas in my previous job, I would have gotten, you know, written up and reprimanded for something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we both agree on that. I mean, we, we wanted to get into environments where we were not told when the hell I need to take my lunch because I'm a grown up and I can take my lunch. I know how to eat lunch. I don't need to clock in. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there. I, I did not like that. And I, I really don't want to ever go back to a company where that is the environment. Uh, I guess this has kind of spoiled me in a way. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I, I went from a, I guess, my job prior to, so selling insurance and doing some health coaching, like, not necessarily incredibly demanding as far as that goes, but I'm now working with two other people and obviously earning the trust of, of my manager slash boss has allowed me to be able to, you know, go to lunch with a little bit more freedom. And those things are nice. And I think that some people kind of, uh, get their feathers ruffled when I tell them some of the things that I'm able to do. But, uh, you know, I sought that out. That was something that I understood as a 25 year old, I want to be treated like a grown up, And I, I don't know if I need to clock in and clock out for my damn lunch hour. Um, these are just views that we've shared, uh, I guess, but, um, really quick, Ryan, 
uh, before we go into this next topic, for all those people down there in Arizona, get your damn turf cleaned up because the haboob is coming. We got a good 10 to 15 more minutes here, but I'm just giving you that warning as you're listening to us. Um, so we both at some point entered network marketing. So talk about what that is. And I can talk a little bit on it too, but that drastically changed our viewpoints on business ownership, how money flows and some of these other things. And that is in turn, help you get to the business that you're running right now. So just kind of talk about network marketing a little bit and then kind of that, that change of mindset, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, network marketing, uh, I mean, everybody kind of knows what it is. Uh, it's basically, it's a regular company that sells regular products uh, or services. It's just, they don't have a network or they don't have a marketing budget. They use word of mouth from the people who sell their products to provide that marketing for them. Um, so the, the allure about network marketing is that you are actually running a business kind of as a sole proprietor in a way. Um, and, there, you kind of skip the step in the, the business building process of putting together a business plan and, you know, doing all the, the upfront work and uh, maybe getting investors if, if that's what your business requires and pitching all those different people. You can skip all that stuff. You've got kind of a system that's already set in place, tried and true by many people before you. And all you got to do is jump in, uh, follow what they're saying, and you'll see success, obviously, with with a little bit of uh, perseverance and 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 uh, a, a little bit of a backbone, but yeah, you'll get there. That's the cool thing about it. Yeah, because I think that there's a lot of people that they view it as getting sucked into one of those schemes, or they they don't fully understand or grasp why you're actually doing it and or attending. So both of us have, have fully committed at some point to doing the Amway uh, business. I've done Team National. I've done some other, I've seen some other businesses. And that, the biggest takeaway I had, and, and you as well, is, is we read a couple of good books by Robert Kiyosaki, but they help you understand like where you're trying to be in your life. And mm -hmm. where I mean by that is, are you an employee? Are you an owner of a business system? Or are you a do-it-yourselfer and have your own business? I didn't know the difference between those things, but reading those books and going in the network marketing experience helped me understand that. Would you say the same for you or what was your experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, when, when you're in a network marketing environment, uh, you're surrounded by people who are, they treat it as a, as a business, right? So you kind of get that uh, business owner uh, feel to it. And when you're going out and you're compensated on the, the amount that you pound the pavement, the amount of work that you're putting in and the amount of success that you're seeing, that's how you're compensated rather than just showing up and punching a time clock. It's a completely different feel. And I think that um, getting exposed to something like that uh, is, a, is a huge step towards maybe getting yourself into being a business owner because there are some people, you know, that say, hey, I, I, entrepreneurship isn't for me. I'm not, I'm not cut from that cloth whatever it is. And, and I tend to think everybody at, to some degree is cut from that cloth. It's just whether or not they've been exposed to it. Right. So Ryan, I'm going to, I'm going to pose a question to you that, that can be, I think a, a blood boiling type of a conversation. And, and you said you like those. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your point. And Nick and I have talked about this actually at length too. So there's a lot of people that, you know, when you guys say network marketing and, and you explain what it is, Nick even mentioned some people think, you know, oh, pyramid scheme. It's just another one of the pyramid schemes. To those people, what would you say and how would you explain it to de-escalate that situation? Yeah, so um, the pyramid scheme thing is, uh, I think it's kind of a misunderstanding uh, in, in a way, because if you actually look at the structure of a regular business, right, uh, and I say regular, I mean, you know, a big corporation, any business that's not labeled network marketing, um, they're actually structured in the same exact way. Uh, it's, it's a pyramid as well, right? Cause you got the CEO at the top and then you got your upper level managers and then your middle managers and then your, your employees down at the bottom. And you're never going to, if you're, you know, a lower level manager or an employee at the bottom, uh, you're never going to surpass the person who's above you in that chain, you're never going to surpass their income. So, you know, the dig on network marketing being a pyramid scheme, it, <laughs> it kind of falls into that. It, it's the same thing, right? The only difference is that it's, there's no marketing budget with a network marketing company because all the marketing is done by word of mouth through people who are involved in that company. I think, uh, where it gets a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth is that it's usually associated with health. 
And a lot of the time we think Herbalife and their fiasco with the, the big pyramid scheme stuff. So, you know, for me, it's like I hear, oh, so-and-so is selling health products. Well, that sounds exactly like Herbalife and all the pyramid schemes I've heard. So what is what is the difference between um, like an Amway or something and like a multi-level marketing to, a, you know, like a Herbalife where you've you've heard a lot of negative stuff about them? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to how they compensate their the people who are involved. It's it's all about the compensation structure. And in my opinion, that's something that you should be looking at before you ever get involved in anything like yeah. that. You should be assessing whether or not there is growth, there is opportunity for growth, uh, whether or not you can, in fact, surpass the person who is above you in that chain. Uh, if those two, if you can do those two things, um, I think why not? I, I think why not give it a try? And and also, you know, if it, if there is some of uh, some sort of uniqueness to it, right? Because there is a lot of them that that do the health thing, and that's kind of it's worn out. You know, I agree. Uh, so if you can find a, a network marketing company that maybe offers something unique that isn't, um, you know, that that's going to help people better their lives the way that uh, any company should, then I, I think that you know anybody should give it a try. Yeah, because. It is misunderstood, and the reason that is, and this is kind of when I want to bring this point back into and then to the business you're working in right now, Ryan. Uh, First off, we're not affiliates of anything, so we're not trying to sell you on anything right now for all the listeners. So just let's get that that out there. There's just all these guys on their pedestals talking about network marketing. You should join one. We have have no association to that. Actually, the State Street Podcast is a a network marketing business, so all you guys listening, we we got you. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, (laughs) – I think the common misconception also, along with what we're saying, Ryan, is that you have to shift from thinking as an employee that attends a job to, I own a business structure. How do I build that? And so when people misunderstand that and then they get, they come in, they have a poor experience. They're like, oh, fuck that. That was a pyramid scheme. I got gypped. It's like, I don't think that the the necessary understanding was there present when you signed up or, or when you attended these things. Because I mean, I'll be honest, I, I went in in college, I uh, had a poor experience. I wasn't mature enough myself. And then I've looked at a couple different business plans that, you know, eventually I, I think it is something that I'm going to do. But right now, and me and you have both decided this, it's just not quite uh, right now what we're looking to do. But it, it is a viable option for people that want to create passive income. Oh, for sure. And I mean, if you don't take it from us, right, take it from uh, there's a lot of very successful people that, you know, when they're asked that question, they they say they're, you know, asked, hey, if you had to start all over or start from scratch, what would you do? I know Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, there's a couple of others um, that would say I would jump into network marketing. And the reason why they say that is is for the reasons I outlined before. Uh, it's a business that's already basically set up for you. You just have to jump in and follow the lead. Right. Absolutely. Well, okay, Cole, did you have something really quick? Yeah, just really quick. So you got, you guys mentioned maturity and obviously, you know, Ryan, you're 20, you, you just turned 25 and, and Nick's getting up there too. And obviously I'm 23, Jeremy's about 23 years old. So you mentioned maturity for this net, network marketing. And so I, have a, I, I wanted to ask, does it take a level of, of maturity to get into and really become successful at network marketing? Because I've found at least you know, I, I had Nick at one point approach me about Team National, and I see, you know, uh, actually our other roommate actually on State Street when we were in college. He did Amway, and I see a lot of other people that are in college that aren't necessarily of the most mature mindset take these things up, and they end up having these bad experiences, or they end up just kind of giving up on it. So does it take a level of maturity to really get in and, and become successful in it? Yeah, I mean, I would say it does. I think it takes a level of of understanding about what you're getting involved with, too. You know, because most people, the allure uh, for most people is, hey, I want to earn more money, right? Who doesn't want to earn more money? But if that's the only reason that you're getting into it, um, chances are it's not going to work out. You're going to have a bad experience because it's a different type of world, right? You have to go out, you have to uh, approach people and that's very uncomfortable depending on who you're talking to. And, you know, it's, you have to do a lot of growing, uh, personally and, you know, uh, I guess professionally, uh, in order to get yourself to do those things. And if you don't do those things, you're going to fail. That's just it. You're not punching a time clock. You know, you, you're the time you put in does not equal income. It's the amount of success that you have doing the, the work. 
No doubt. Well, let's flip the coin here. So you are in a business right now, Ryan. You, this is something that's always interested you. Um, just talk uh, in general about that and how that's been going and like kind of what that is. Cause I think it's a little different and the timeliness of the podcast we did just have on Glebe and, and he's running, you know, retail, you're in the retail industry as well. Just a little different feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually, I listened to that, that previous podcast. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and I think, uh, Clayton hats off to him, man. He's, he's going to kill it. I think he is, but um, anyway, the, my company is set up more as an investing holding company. Uh, and I, the reason why I bring that up is because the retail business that I'm running right now, I view as more of an investment, um, something that I can make a return on my money versus, uh, jumping in and having it become, uh, I guess a full-time job for me. So, so here's what I mean by that. Um, my business is, is completely online. I sell through Amazon and I sell name brand products uh, in the electronics and office space. And uh, I do that through Amazon's fulfillment center, right? So I, I basically partner with them and I have them do all of the fulfillment for me. They, they handle all the customer interactions. I don't have to, I don't pay a dime in marketing. Um, Amazon does all that stuff for me with their optimized, uh, you know, shopping cart and all that stuff. So uh, basically what I, what I'm doing is I'm going out, I'm building relationships with suppliers who have these name brand products. And I'm uh, buying those products from them when I have determined that it meets my criteria as far as an investment goes, right? I can put X amount of money into this product. I can buy it um, from this distributor uh, at wholesale, and then I can turn around and list it on Amazon and sell it at retail and make a, a profit or a margin. Uh, and if, if that particular product meets all of the requirements that I have set up, um, then I go ahead and buy it and I ship it over. And my, after I, after I get it to Amazon, my work is basically done. My, my job now is to go and find more of those, uh, products that I can buy. Yeah. Cause we had talked a little bit off the air on the, the level of like, that you could actually go and cut the middleman out and do it, but you're choosing Amazon because a, they're a hell of a partner right now. And B, they do a lot of those convenient time-saving things as well too. And Clayton's, you know, Clayton's got his, uh, the clothing thing going on and, and he's grinded his face off to get to where it is today. And it's freaking awesome. And I think you're right, Ryan. I think he's going to be very successful in the long term. Uh, share a little bit, like what's the end result goal with, with this part-time gig? Yeah. So, I mean, the end goal would obviously be if I can turn this thing into a cash cash cow, you know, a cash flowing machine and I can get rid of my, my full-time job. I don't see why I wouldn't do that, you know? Um, but yeah, just to kind of touch on what you had mentioned before about there being an opportunity for me to take over kind of what Amazon does and, and do some of that fulfillment stuff. I can essentially, if I wanted to, uh, have my own warehouse and, and warehouse my own products and, and uh, stop Amazon from doing it for me and charging me for it, but that's going to create more work for me. And uh, I, I look at it as Amazon has all this stuff already set up. They have it all in place. Yes, I have to pay them a chunk of my profits, but it's worth it because, as I mentioned before, once I find a product, I'm basically hands-off at that point. Uh, and, and to me, the passivity of that is where the value's at. So... I, I love that you bring up the term passivity and uh, we're, we're getting, we're winding down here, folks. So we'll make sure we, we keep this hot, but people think and misunderstand passivity because it's used so much. Like it's thrown around like, Oh, passive income here, passive income there. But like, I have aspirations, you as well, and I think Cole and Jeremy do too. Eventually, like we want to get where we own business systems, so then that way the system is what is creating the income. So, can you very briefly just describe like what that looks like? Because I think a lot of people don't understand like what passive income like actually is. Yeah, so um, I kind of touched on it a little bit before, but basically you're you're setting up a business uh, and you're trying to outsource as much as you can to other people. Um, while still obviously owning the business and enjoying the profits. Um, so in my case with Amazon, Amazon's handling all of the heavy lifting. Essentially, I'm just uh, sourcing products and uh, Amazon gets a cut, I get a cut. But at the end of the day, I, I'm not the one that's going out and setting up a, a storefront. I'm not the one that's you know got the, the big sales team who's trying to find new buyers. I'm not the one that's spending countless hours and in, in dollars on marketing and, and all those other things, right? Uh, that's the whole idea of it. It's something that you can uh, plug into, 
build, outsource, and then as you're sleeping, as they always say, make money when you're sleeping, <laughs> right? So Ryan, uh, a couple questions. One, how long have you been doing this? And two, what would you say to someone who would like to explore this as a, as a possibility? Yeah, so I've been kind of dabbling in it a little bit for, I would say, eight, nine months. Uh, I've had my LLC set up since college, um, but I, I've kind of suffered from the shiny object syndrome uh, where I find one thing that I think is interesting and then I get sidetracked and I, I haven't really ever put my full attention into one thing uh, up until now. So I would say about eight months, but really started getting traction for about six um, since about January, December of last year. Uh, and then, you know, as far as uh, my recommendation to people who want to do the same thing uh, and, and kind of what to do, I would just say learn learn as much as you can or as much as is appropriate. Um, don't don't worry so much about, um, you know, because there's a lot of fear, right? When you're trying yeah. something new, when you're when you're branching out and you're starting your own business, uh, there's always going to be fear of losing money, of failure, of all those things. You just have to do it right? Uh, that's, it's, it's, everyone says that. And uh, it sucks that I can't come up with any better <laughs> advice than that. But that's just it, man. I, I kind of, like I said, I dabbled in this thing for eight months, nine months, 10 months, somewhere around there. And I finally just said, you know what, I did, you just have to, you just have to jump in at some point and, and take that risk. Yeah. I think that's something what, uh, similar to what Lieb said, where he's like, you know, we just stopped caring. We just started doing it. And I think that's probably a, a common trend amongst entrepreneurs who, you know, just do it and, and figure out what's working, what, what isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very analytical person by nature too. So if, if it was just up to my nature, I would just learn everything I could about every single business and never do a thing. Uh, so, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. There you go, Jeremy. <laughs> So taking that leap is something that, you know, it's not easy for, for me and it's not easy for anybody. Um, but again, you just got to do it, man. You got to, you got to get to a point where you're comfortable enough, where you think you know enough because you're never going to know it all. And you just got to, you just got to run with it. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate the, uh, the inspiration there too. Um, and I, I would agree. And I think that the last point here, and, and I'll quit shoving this down the listener's throat, but when you want a certain goal, like we do eventually of owning a business system and being able to have passive income, there's certain things that must be done, whether we like the idea of them or not. Like, I don't know if I necessarily love going through or, or potentially doing a network marketing business or, or investing in real estate or owning a business system, but what I want more is the latter. So you have to make those sacrifices throughout uh, to make some of those things work. But dude, we have absolutely freaking loved this conversation. We are going to wrap things up here. Um, and before we do, Cole, I believe you have some questions for our guest. I do. So, Ryan, at the end of every podcast episode with every guest we have on, um, I like to throw just like four rapid-fire questions just to, for, for our listen, listeners to get to know you a little bit better and, and kind of – end things on a light note and, and make it easy to transition out of this thing. So if you're ready, I'm ready to fire at you. Let's do it. Cool. So you mentioned how big of a ski fan you are. You touched on the fact that obviously being in Arizona, you're a golf guy. You love to golf. So my my first question to you is if you had to choose one, would you rather take your dream golf trip or dream ski trip? And of the two, where would that dream trip be? Ooh, um, I would say just shooting from the hip here, I would say probably take that dream ski trip just because it feels more, um, more attainable for me right now, I guess. And where would that be? Uh, probably it's going to be in the Rockies somewhere. And as far as where specifically, I, I don't really have a specific, probably in, in Idaho somewhere actually, because I've heard Idaho is beautiful. I've never been there. I want to go there and, uh, <laughs> There's got to be something good there. So skipping over Colorado and going straight to Idaho. Yes. I love the fact that you said it's most attainable right now. That shows that you have a very analytical mind. You're thinking right now, what could I do? What can I make it happen? I love that. It's a great answer. <laughs> um, so, okay, if, you, if, you had, if you're stuck on a deserted island, you can only have three things with you. What, what, three, thing, what three things does Ryan Dudak have to have? Huh. 
Um, I got to have, uh, let's just say a way to start a fire. Uh, so if that's, uh, you know, Kindle and, and, uh, you know, some sort of spark mechanism, that's gotta be one of them. Um, a fishing pole, you know, uh, you gotta catch fish and probably a bow and arrow or, or a gun. You know, if I'm picking anything, a gun for sure. That's those, I mean, those are three great answers. Again, that's, you I don't gotta, think you, I don't. I don't think you could have three better answers, honestly. No, you, you got to eat, right? And you got to stay warm. And I can I can figure out how to build a shelter from there. We'll be fine. <laughs> Perfect. So my next question, I have to pref- preface with a first question. Um, do you drink? Uh, occasionally. Okay. So when you do drink occasionally, are you a beer or liquor guy? And if it's liquor, what liquor? I am definitely a beer guy. What beer? Well, being from Iowa, I can't say anything other than Bushlight. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say that. So, okay, I, it's going to be more than it's going to end up being more than four questions. But being in, living in California for four months, I found that I couldn't find Bushlight in California. Can you find Bushlight in Arizona? Negative. You cannot oh, find no. it hardly anywhere, and then that is an issue. So, I guess Bud Light has to do. Bud Light has to do. So when exactly when when was the last time you had a bush light? Uh, it wasn't too long ago, actually. I was just up in Minnesota a few weeks ago for another buddy's. Uh, I guess it was his bachelor party, but his wedding got postponed, so it was a, ba- a pre-bachelor party. Okay. So it was a couple weeks ago. This guy's so, doing two bachelor parties. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Fourth and final question. You kind of actually already answered it earlier, um, but. For our listeners, kind of at the end, I like to give you know a good resource from our guests that they could go search out, whether it be a book, a video, a podcast, a social media page, maybe just like a, a YouTube video. What's something that you've found that um, you have you've embraced completely, or you've found that's changed your life that you would recommend that others go find? Hmm, I don't know if I can pick just one thing. Uh... I would say, um, man, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I would say find, uh, a, a good book, um, that's going to, that fits, that fits your interest level, but is going to challenge you. I know for, for everybody, that's going to be a different book. Um, but for me, uh, I would say something, something like, uh, psycho cybernetics, uh, would be a good book. It's, it's about the brain and how the brain works and goal setting and, um, striving towards, uh, different things that feel unattainable at the time, but, uh, allow you to achieve and, and up your life. So I would say find a good book that, that is within your interest, but stretches you a little bit. I love that answer. And, and Nick, you're going to appreciate this, but talking about the brain and, and just how the brain works, it is truly a powerful thing. I've been reading a book that talks about forming habits and how the brain actively does that and, and how your brain really doesn't even work when you have formed habits. So it's cool to hear you say that because I have found a new love for learning about how the brain works. But um, thank you for answering those questions, dude. I want to thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. It's been, I mean, it's been completely informative. And I've, again, second podcast or podcast guest in a row that i've learned a ton from um so dude thank you for coming on all the way from mesa arizona uh, <laughs> it was great getting to talk to you and and i'll go ahead and i'll pass it to jeremy so he can plug social media and then nick will take us off thank you for coming on the podcast ryan and uh if you would like to follow us on social media you can hit us up on instagram state street pod twitter is at state street pod Facebook is State Street Podcast, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us five stars and subscribe. Well, hey, man, it was freaking pleasure. That was fun. That was fun having you on here. It was great to get a platform where we could chat a little bit, both of have some fun and, and be educational there, too. Um, and lastly, for those people that are being procrastinators about the haboob, you better get your ass inside because it's coming to town. And a shout out to anyone that has relatives or, or any anyone that they know from Arizona, the great state. Uh, hopefully we'll get down to see you here soon, Ryan. But until next time, guys. Hey.